Hello, I'm Fern Cotton and this is Happy Place. It's a podcast and if this is your first podcast, welcome, welcome. You couldn't have picked a better one to start with. Get your earphones in, get your hands and feet busy and let's take a deep dive with one of the most admired people in the public eye at the moment. It's England manager Gareth Southgate. You know, we'll get criticised for the way the team play and I have a choice. I either crumble and think oh well actually I'll walk away from it and somebody else can do it or you say no actually this is a privilege to be in this position we've got the opportunity to make history we've got the opportunity to do things that nobody's ever done so I'm going to go for it. Gareth's leadership is an inspiration not just to the young players he manages but to many others across the country And not only that, he's an ambassador for the Prince's Trust and it's in that role that he's written a book called Anything is Possible. Be brave, be kind and follow your dreams. What a beautiful title. We're going to be delving into that together, I promise you. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. And now, the show, recorded back in October before the new lockdown restrictions started in England. His England manager, Gareth Southgate, on Happy Place. Yes. <laughs> Hi, Gareth. Hi, Fern. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, when I was making some notes for this talk earlier this week, I discovered we have the same birthday. I, I did have a little look myself, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 3rd of September. So are you, like me, organised? Well, you're punctual for a start, but organised, <laughs> like things done a certain way? Generally speaking, yeah, generally speaking. Yeah, I know there's lots of Virgo traits that I'm guilty of. That, that's definitely the case. Um, uh, quite thoughtful, quite methodical. Um, and sometimes that's quite a shift to the day job where you've got to be a little bit quicker on your decision making and um, not not always able to have the time to think some of those things through. So, um, yeah, it's fascinating how many of those sort of horoscope uh, traits I think are quite true amazing really. I know whether you believe that sort of stuff or not you, you can I think especially with Virgos often you look and you think oh my god I literally tick every one of those boxes <laughs> and my husband will testify for that for sure um, congratulations on your book which I was lucky enough to get an early copy of and, and so enjoyed reading um, anything is possible be brave be kind and follow your dreams Obviously, we're we're living through such a very strange time. Was was the sort of purpose of this book to give people a bit of hope at the moment? Well, I'm very conscious that um, in the job I do, um, I do have the ability to connect perhaps with a wider audience and in particularly with young people. Um, and 
having lived that journey, having had children who are going through that journey of growing up, teenage years in particular, life's always complicated for young people. Um, and there's no question at the moment that it's more complicated than ever and more uncertain. And I think very often when I look back at my life, the, I thought I was the only one having some of these experiences. And I'd, I'd look around the dressing room that I thought was full of super confident young boys or young men. And actually, that isn't the case. And it wasn't the case. Some people were better at hiding their insecurities than others. Um, but I think everybody had them. And I think the journey of going through life and learning and coming through all these challenges, there are so many similarities that perhaps people don't realize. So I, I just felt there was an opportunity. I actually started to work on this during the original lockdown. And um, yeah, the, the more I, I talked through my own life story and my own experiences, I felt it could apply not only to kids who want to be footballers, but any walk of life really. And, um, and this idea that anything is possible, because I, I really believe that to be the case. I know the journey I went on and have been on and um whatever you want in life there is a way to get there if if you're patient and resilient and and prepared to recover from the setbacks well that's it and you're so generous in the book in offering up those moments that you have found difficult throughout your life you know right from being a teenager yourself up into the present day to demonstrate that you know someone like yourself who is you know respected revered has this brilliant career and huge success has, has had to experience so many setbacks to to learn, to gain that wisdom, to get you where, to where you are today, which I think is is invaluable. And you don't shy away from talking about those those tough moments. Do you think that that's perhaps an important part of making peace with your your tougher times is is to in fact share them and and just talk about them openly? I think so. I I, I don't think that men in particular are very good at doing that. Um, I think there's always been a, an assumption that you've got to tough it out. You've got to um, be seen to be strong. And actually, I think the more confident you are, the more open you're prepared to be and the more vulnerability you're prepared to show. I, I know there's still a load of things that I need to get better at, want to get better at. Lots of things I haven't achieved yet that I want to achieve, but I'm less worried about talking about that now than I was when I was younger. I, I thought that show of vulnerability would be held against me. Um, and again, I suppose it's something that age and confidence and experience gives you that um, not only do I know what, you know, I know myself very well and I'm comfortable with myself, strengths and weaknesses, um, but I also can see that in other people and the opportunity to help them is, is something that as a coach, I, I really enjoy. Yeah, that's it. Well, it's in, extremely valuable, especially in the position you're in today, to have that sort of wisdom and experience, and also inner peace to know that you're accepting of the bits. You know, like you said, your strengths and and your weaknesses. And and you start off in the book talking about the Euro '96 penalty shootout and and the the sort of heaviness that that brought to your life. And and you offer up something that none of us could have known in the moment. And that's that, you know, as you approach that situation, you had started to worry about what could go wrong rather than what you're actually mm. in control of. So what was cognitively going on for you as, as you approached the ball? I, I think it's it's part of um, 
in that instance, a slight lack of preparation, and that's no criticism of every, of anybody else. That's just where we were. Penalty shootouts weren't something that were a regular part of the game. We're going back 30 years. Now, almost every cup competition has one at the end of 90 minutes. Um, so I wasn't confident in my technique, and I wasn't confident going through that process. Football is very much a team game, and if I was any good at scoring I'd, I wouldn't play at the back where I've played for 25 mm. years so immediately you're in a p- situation that you're not as confident of and then in what is a team environment you're suddenly the centre of attention with 90,000 people um, just looking at the, at the walk from the centre circle to the penalty spot and it's easy then to for the brain to take you into the things that you can't control just because you haven't been through that process before or hadn't thought or worked through that process and so by the time I got to the ball just to get it on target would, would have been an achievement in itself because um, the, the psychological then affects the physical movements and everything else and I mean, it took me a long time to be able to really go through all of this and to break it down into those processes and to be, I suppose, honest enough to admit to myself what, I, what I'd been through in that situation. But it definitely allowed me to, it helped me to pre- prepare the team or to work through what the team needed to be prepared for when I've been a manager. And then, of course, the what happened to me after it broadened my perspective on life completely because as a sportsman very often you've got a very narrow perspective and you think that your whole being depends on winning a game on a Saturday and actually you know that isn't but until you have children until you experience other things in your life you have to have that really narrow focus probably to 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 be a professional um, but I think you're a better professional and a better person once you're able to broaden out that perspective. Yeah, because, of course, you know, you're under such a, an immense amount of pressure and, and in any sort of high-level sporting game or, you know, I've spoke to Jessica um, Ennis about this, uh, you know, there's there's an element of perfection that you that you want and that you almost have to have if you want to be the best. And there's so few things in life where perfection is needed, but in sport, it's... It really is. And that puts so much pressure on you. And then, you know, to, to deal with that not turning out how you'd hoped. And you, and you talk about this in the book really eloquently about that heaviness. And you felt that you'd let everybody down. And, and that took a, a long period of sort of healing and recovery after that. How, how did that um, experience and that period affect your, your mental health? Yeah, that, that's a really good question because I don't think I viewed it in that way at the time. Um, I, I knew I was struggling in terms of confidence whenever I went back and played with England um, because the people I felt most for were the other players and the other staff, some of whom it was their last opportunity to win something. So although I had another chance to go back and play and my my career, I still had another 10 years ahead of me, some of those guys that that was their moment that was the opportunity to win something with England which we've only ever done once in as a nation ever um so I think uh, I I hear the military guys talk about this yes they fight for queen and country but they fight first and foremost for the person alongside them because they know they've got their back at the most difficult time and that that's where the bond is strongest and um so I felt that um 
very heavily that I'd let down those um, that had worked so hard with me. But then, of course, you have got this broader thing of walking down the street and lads poking their heads out the van and shouting abuse at you. Mm, and fun. and that's quite hard to take. You go to every away ground and the fans are chanting. And, of course, that that's quite an ordeal. And although I wanted to battle against that and prove that I could play against them, it, it inside, that's, of course, hurting you. And um, because part of playing for the national team is that you represent all of those people so uh, when you play for your country they're all with you now you can see that the, the feeling that, that of negativity against you and that's that's difficult to take so it took me a long time um a couple of times I saw sports psychologists um that wasn't prevalent in our sport at that time I think it's an underused resource I think other sports use that um um power of the mind in a much more positive way than in football I think people like tennis players golfers have done that for years so I had to kind of find my own way really I think some things just take time to heal and you you have to work out your own way through it but my worry would be that actually there is support there for for young people you know there are setbacks that they're going to suffer there is rejection from for example, any talent pathway, if you're an actor, if you're a dancer, if you're a musician, rejection is going to be part of your journey. And that is the the resilience to come back from that will, will determine success. But it's not always easy to be able to work that out yourself. And I think the more you can talk to other people about it, the better. And, you know, you touched on this a moment ago. You know, what what did you gain from that experience to... I guess, aid you in your role today as manager, but also outside of football, just in your life? You know, what did that experience give you? Well, definitely perspective. Some of the letters I had, although the negative comments always register more prominently in your mind, they were far outweighed by the positive letters and messages that I received. And there were people who had suffered you know, massive events in their life, loss of really, you know, close family, people who had disabled children, people who'd lost their jobs, a guy who was in jail, although he partly blamed me for getting arrested because he, he was rioting on the night that I'd missed the penalty. So oh, wow. I, although I was up Just for... Just to give you a little yeah. bit more to worry about, Gareth, that. <laughs> so although, I, I'm, a, I'm prepared to take responsibility for a lot of things, but not that. But um, <laughs> so that, that, but those things gave you perspective that, look, hang on, in the end, ultimately, this is a game of football and... I desperately wanted it to go well. And my whole life has been sadly devoted to winning games of football, which is really of no importance, but it has a chance to change other people's lives. And professionally, you want it to be the best, you know, you want it to be perfect. So that perspective was the thing. And I think the pandemic gave us that. There were some brilliant stories of some of our young players doing some amazing things because the reality was our ability as football people was of no use to anybody frankly you know football although it maybe gave people a lift when it came back it was nowhere near as important as the the NHS workers the people that were clearing the bins the shopkeepers everybody that really came to prominence in that time that was the reality of the people that we need in our lives and um, football is a, a, a glorious distraction but it isn't actually as important as any of those things. 
Well, you know, like you say, it, it is such a, a unifying and um, joyful experience for so many people as, you know, I, I live with, a well, three Chelsea fans, my stepson, my son and, and my husband. And I grew up with a QPR household as a kid myself, and my dad and brother, you know, all obsessed with watching TV. It was their absolute lives. And, and you know, the same with the, the, the males in my house today. But the flip side of that joy and 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 that beautiful unity is, of course, that it can be such a a harsh industry and a critical industry and a really mean spirited industry. You know, whether that comes from the fans or the commentators there, it does seem to be particularly harsh still. How how have you coped with that over the years? Well, I think it's tough um, without any external um, voices because the 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 journey of be, becoming a player going through those rejections battling back from injuries battling back from defeats um that that anyway takes you on a on a real roller coaster of emotional energy and um I- events that you have to overcome uh, i think where it's changed now for players today is th- is this element of social media and this incredible negativity that exists we always had the newspapers and you you know everybody always used to take a sort of an unbalanced input from whatever a new newspaper journalist wrote but now the emotion if you followed a game on twitter for example through the 90 minutes goodness the the journey of that from people becoming hero to zero to hero again across just 90 minutes it's all so emotive and and generally speaking, you know, social media isn't the place to go for balance or perspective. So, so I do worry about young players in particular. Um, and that's not only in football, it's young people across the board. You, your home used to be somewhere that was safe. You could, um, maybe you were at school and you were bullied. Um, but when you went home, generally speaking, of course, some people had difficult home backgrounds, but Generally speaking, if you were bullied at school, you came home, that was safe. Now you can be attacked in your own home through social media. Mm. And and I do worry about that for young people in that I I think there's a bigger challenge around their mental well-being and looking after them uh, than we've ever had before. And and does that now come into your role as a manager? Is that something you've had to, you know, this this newer wave and generation of of football players and and a new responsibility for them and you? Is that a a dialogue that that you have to keep going with your team? I I definitely speak to them about it. And um, of course, what I don't want to be is the the miserable old bugger who says, Oh, you know, don't <laughs> social media. I don't understand it. You know, what is, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm fully aware of every, of all of it. My kids are 21 and 18. So, and, you know, I'm, I think I'm young enough to have engaged in all those areas, but I don't go there anytime when we've got matches coming up because I know it, it's going to fill my head with negative or confusion or, but I know that, my young players will definitely be following that more closely and in some ways they use it brilliantly to interact with supporters to make a difference in society as they have done in the last few months but there's also this other element of if they're scrolling through immediately after a game when they're quite vulnerable anyway then it it can take them to a really bad place in terms of their confidence and and their self-esteem and I think that I can see that replicated in other walks of life as well. 
Oh, without a doubt. It is, I think for so many people, it's such a, a huge problem if you start to actually take seriously what you're reading, seeing, viewing, imbibing within that world. It, it gets it gets really tricky and I can't imagine it on the level that that your players are, are having to deal with. And um, and I guess there have been so many changes over the years with, with how um, the whole football world works because... When you were growing up as a young player, you you talk about when you were a youth player for Crystal Palace Youth in the book, and if you played badly, you'd get such bollocking from the manager, <laughs> and you know in not a particularly nice way. And I'm I'm imagining that that I mean it might still happen with some teams, but with you certainly not. You can tell that you've got that respect from your team, but you're not ruling. By fear. So how do you gain the respect of, of lots of young people who have all got their own independent mind, you know, their own skill set? How, how do you gain that respect without, you know, just using fear and, and uh, you know, having an acerbic tongue, etc.? Yeah, yeah. I think there are times for that, by the way. Right, okay. So a bit of both. <laughs> but I think that's very rare. You know, I think it, when we were growing up, the boss was the boss. And nobody questioned in any, you know, if you were in the factory, if you were in a school, if you were, nobody questioned authority, really. You just did what you were told. And if you were told to run faster, you ran faster. And now if we're talking to young people and you say, we think you should eat this for dinner, they want to know, well, well, hang on a minute, why? you know uh where's it been produced is it has it been ethically grown um what are the benefits what am i missing out on and and rightly so why 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 shouldn't they ask all of those questions and it's challenging for us as leaders because we then have to have the knowledge and have the answers to those questions but i think that's entirely fair if we're asking people to play in a certain way to train in a certain way to prepare in a certain way if we can't provide them with a good rationale for doing that and that we think it's going to make them better and it will make the team better then I think the days are gone where they'll just be prepared to run as far as you say because you've told them to and and I think young people grow up with that mindset I think they'll research things more you know if if you have an injury when I was injured I did what the physio told me I didn't really know until I was older whether that was right for my body now we're on, aren't we? You know, as soon as you've got a sniffle, blimey, we're Googling oh, it. Well, never Google an injury. <laughs> it's the worst thing to do. So I think they're exposed. Young people are exposed to more information. Yeah. They have a clearer idea. They're more prepared to challenge. And actually, I, I, I don't mind that. I think if it's done in the right way and it's not, um, you know, the, if the approach is right, then I, I do think the days are gone where a purely aggressive, demanding style of um, of communication I don't think that works I think there are moments where actually if you're not that way every day it's more powerful to make a point at times because yeah. there are times you've got to make points quickly and directly and I think people then jump a little bit harder because it, it's a surprise so I think you have to have a balance with those things. It sounds to me a bit like parenting in this house to be honest with you Gareth. <laughs> any similarities I'm drawing here? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And where have you got that confidence from to to be a leader? Did you always know that you had those sorts of leadership skills? Because it requires, you know, so much honesty, perhaps confrontation at times, delegation at times, a huge amount of responsibility. Where where does that confidence come from? Well, I, I think experience, basically. Nobody really talked to me as a young player about being a leader specifically. I think we try and do that a little bit more with our players and we try and make them more aware of because people immediately assume you've got to be vocal or you've got to be the loudest to be the leader. And that's not necessarily the case. Some of our players will lead by just being really responsible, by taking the ball on the pitch when there's real pressure on. Um, so it doesn't have to be the gobbiest, um, mm. big, biggest organiser. Um But there is something important for groups and for teams about having good communicators within them and people who are bold enough to to speak up in front of a group. I mean, that's quite an ordeal. You know, the very nature of us as human beings, if if you're in front of us, you know, at school, it was always, oh, you're the the teacher's pet or you're being busy or whatever it might be. To speak up was was deemed negatively, really. Um, Whereas in a team, you need those people. You need people to step forward and be prepared to speak um, because actually if we're not aware of what everybody's thinking and, and they may have better ideas than we have about how to progress, then we're missing an opportunity to improve. Um, so it's quite a brave thing for young people in particular to do. I think I talk about it in the book, you know, to put your hand up and to speak in front of the class is a difficult thing. But once you've done it a few times, you do gain confidence and you realise that, okay, there might be a little bit of stick from my friends, but so what? You know, it's better to look back on life and what's the phrase? If you ask a question, you're a fool for 30 seconds. If you don't ask, you can be a fool forever. And I think that's very true. No, it is. And, you know, you do talk about bravery a lot in the book, which which I love because bravery is often seen as something like the sort of old fashioned way of looking at bravery, you know, sort of perhaps uh, more masculine or macho way of looking at bravery. And like you say, actually, something as simple as putting your hand up and asking a question requires so much bravery and essentially vulnerability because you're putting yourself out there to experience whatever that comeback is. And that doesn't feel comfortable in any sense. And, and, you, and you touch on the book uh, um, on comfort zones and, and looking at, you know, you know, whether it is bravery or following your dreams. And that, you know, that isn't a whimsical thing. Just follow your dreams and, and it'll all come <laughs> true. You know, it does require resilience and, and, and stepping outside of your comfort zones. And, and something I often think about myself within my own sort of little career and stuff that I'm doing here is, you know, how far do I push myself? How far should I step out of my comfort zone? When is the slight discomfort too much? When should I pull back? When should I maybe even give up on something? And I wonder over the years, looking back at your life and your career, what your barometer is on that, of, of how you know when when you've pushed it too far and, and you should stop or, or pull back? Yeah, well, really good question. I, I think that... Um... 
uh, I think you, you will always make mistakes in, in that area. So, for example, I could easily at the end of um, our matches this autumn think, well, um, actually now's not a good time to do a load of interviews for books and 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 because people will just say, well, get on with the day job and get the team winning. And But actually that, that would be a very safe way of doing things. And as the national team manager, you've got a chance to make a difference, not just with the football. Um, and if I was younger, I'd have probably backed away from those things. And I, and I would have said, oh no, I, I must be seen to be 100% focused on, on the team and nothing else in my life. But that's not realistic. If I, think about the team every second of every day and it's not far off that by the way but 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 I would go absolutely mad yeah. and there'd be no there'd be no broader perspective where you, you can add something else to society and um, I'd feel that's a missed opportunity but definitely I won't get all those things right and I guess what I don't do now is beat myself up if I make some of those decisions in the wrong way I'll reflect it's a bit we said earlier about speaking up in front of a group we've all done it and thought oh no I've got that wrong and what an idiot and they'll all be they'll all be thinking I'm an idiot why didn't I just sit there and say nothing and but I think as you get older you're less worried about those things that go wrong and so it's quite liberating really I think there's moments when you're really young when you don't think about those things and it's so beautiful and pure that you know a young dancer could go and dance and not worry about putting a foot wrong and really express themselves and and then I think you go through a middle part of your life where you're so worried about approval from others that you that inhibits you doing some of the things that you should do. And as you get older, you think, well, stuff it. I might only have another few years, so let's crack on. And <laughs> it's a full circle process. Can. It's a full circle it process. And, and again, you, you talk about that exact thing in the book about... You know, and I, I can certainly think back to when I was a teenager starting out in this industry and experiencing that, that you did, I didn't think about what might go wrong. I was just sort of plowing on having this great sort of adventure. And, and you talk about when you were an apprentice at Crystal Palace and your coach at the time had very harshly said to you that you should go and become a travel agent. But for some, somehow, I don't know what was going on for you during this time mentally, but you were able to listen to the, your inner voice or your intuition, whatever you want to call it to not go and do that, to not give up your dream and to continue to be on the trajectory that you're on today. So, so how, how did you manage that? Was that just, you know, having youth on your side and, and being able to just sort of plough on regardless of what anyone was saying? Well, I, I wonder whether there are some genetic things that we have in terms of how our brains work. Mm. Um, because I'm conscious that not everybody can go immediately towards a challenge mindset at that moment. And some people dip into the negative a little bit more quickly. And I think that's where it's so important to, to speak to other people and to, to have people to help coach us almost through those moments. My mindset has almost always been right. Well, I'm going to prove that person wrong. And that that's still the same today. You know, we we'll get criticized for the way the team play and I have a choice. I either crumble and think, Oh, well actually I'll walk away from it and somebody else can do it. Or you say, no, actually this is a privilege to be in this position. We've got the opportunity to make history. We've got the opportunity to do things that nobody's ever done. 
Um, so I'm going to go for it and I'll, I'll just keep improving. And when it goes wrong, we'll learn from it and we'll, we'll get better from, from getting things wrong. And I often say to the players, if, if they're not making mistakes on the pitch, then we're probably not trying hard enough mm. because they're, they're playing within themselves. And I don't expect it to be perfect. Perfection we're always seeking, but it hardly ever happens. Uh, it's good to strive for that. But if, if we're actually comfortable and we're not pushing ourselves then that's probably a bigger crime than really going for it yeah so that's actually just a matter of perception isn't it because like you said there you know when you were you know dealt a a harsh comment like that you 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 switched into I don't know what you just call it they're like challenge mode or something where you go right I'm going to challenge that person that theory that opinion and maybe that is down to genetics. You know, I've, I've not really looked into that enough to, to know, but I think that is a really interesting thing to consider because we can all be so dead-ended or flawed by people saying things to us, telling us we're not capable of things, that we can't do things. And I guess it's in that moment that it really counts, that we have to, you know, try and change the, the perception and, and slip into challenge mode. That's a really cool way of thinking of it, I think. Well... I'm quite conscious that I have to make selection decisions. And so we have a squad of 23 and immediately I name a team and 12 are disappointed. Mm. So we've got more unhappy players than happy. Um, But what I try to make clear is that this is a decision on one moment in time and it's one person's opinion. So this doesn't mean that you're a poor player or even that you're not as good as some of the other players we think this is the best way for go to go for this game, but we could have that wrong. And there'll be lots of young players who've been released by clubs who then have gone back, uh, you know, sort of re- regenerated themselves and come back and become professional somewhere else because maybe they didn't quite fit at that time. Maybe one coach had a different idea on how he wanted to play. And I think in life there'll be, I'm sure in your career for and there have been people who turned you down oh, for um, programs and mm. and at that moment you you maybe want what they were looking for and and they'll look back potentially now and go oh we might have got that wrong by the way maybe, so, maybe not uh, <laughs> but I do think those rejections are part of what make us and help us to you know we get to a certain point where guiding others and helping others on this this journey whether that's as a parent or as a teacher or as a coach I think that's even more fulfilling, which I didn't think it would be when I stopped playing. I didn't think anything would be as fulfilling as playing, but I now see a broader opportunity out there. When you're talking about rejection, you mentioned something really important in the book, which is something that none of us like talking about, but all of us will have experienced, and that's humiliation. And like you're just saying there, yes, I have been most definitely turned down, sacked, or I think in TV they say, we've let you go. Sounds very sort of generous (laughs) of them, but isn't particularly. Um, But it's happened, it's happened many times. And I think there'll be so many people out there who've experienced it. And and you talk about having experienced the feeling of humiliation in your own career. And I, and I wonder what your coping mechanisms have been to get through that. Because it's one of the sort of uglier feelings. It's really, it feels really heavy and it feels just like you can't actually move on from it at times from my own personal experience that it, you feel quite stuck in it. And I wonder what your coping mechanisms have been. Yeah, I, I think it, um, 
so I, I was manager at Middlesbrough. I was quite a young manager and um, uh, eventually in, in football management, it's, pro- it's probably fairly certain at some point you'll get the sack. So that's almost a given. But when it happens the first time, it's such a, a blow because mm. you're not sure if this is going to affect any future career that you might have, you know, this might, this might be it. Maybe I don't get another uh, opportunity uh, because you feel other people will see you as scarred by the experience or they'll, they'll feel you're a failure. Um, and I think there, there's a lot of soul searching. There's definitely you lose confidence in yourself because you're not certain as a young coach, especially you think you're doing the right things, but you don't necessarily have the evidence of results to say, uh, we're on the right line here. We, we, a lot of what we were doing was, was right. Um, and I, I think without doubt, there were days where you, you're on, I, I call it a duvet day. You know, you, you're yeah. on the duvet. You think, actually, this is more comfortable. I'd rather not even get out of bed at the moment and, and face the outside world. And because, of course, if you're in a high profile role, the failure is even more high profile. You, you, you know, the postman has to cut, you have oh, to you know, speak to the postman. Yeah. You drop the kids at school. You're in the playground with all the other parents. You're those day-to-day things that most people's lives, nobody would have a clue what was going on. But if you are in a high profile profession, then those difficult moments are there for and exposed for everybody to see. And it's, it's another layer to have to deal with. So and you think about the impact on your kids and how am I going to tell them and what's the reaction to them going to be at school. And so they're all natural human instincts. I think that it doesn't matter how, how high your profile is or how successful you might have been. Um, everybody's a human being. They're, they're all actually, we're all wired the same way. We've all grown up from the same and um, you, you suffer in the same way, I think. And, and how how have you sort of rebuilt your confidence in these tougher times where you have been flawed, where you have felt, you know, rejected, etc.? What's What have been the first sort of steps in going, right, I know I'm not going to give up. That's not in my nature. I'm going to get into challenge mode. I feel pretty exposed, vulnerable, bruised. What are those first steps in, in regaining that confidence? I think the first thing is to look honestly at what you could have done better. Um, and I think sometimes there's a tendency to brush over um, the, the bits that you, you maybe fell short on. And that might be honest feedback from a, a close friend or a colleague um, or, or just, you know, genuinely looking, looking at yourself and mapping your, mapping your strengths against the things that you, if I want to be the best coach in the world, where am I on all of these uh, criteria? And, and, if, and if we're really honest in our appraisal, not beat yourself up on things that aren't unrealistic, but also making sure that we're critically in the right moments, then I felt it's so important to go away and learn, go, go away and improve in those different areas, speak to high level coaches, watch high level people work, watch their teams play to see what you can learn from them because there's so many opportunities to learn through reading or through watching things or through visiting people or podcasts or whatever it might be. We're surrounded by opportunities to get better. It, there's actually not enough hours in the day to take it all in. Yeah. Um, so I, I think for me, that was the process. What, what's the benchmark? Realistically, where am I against that? 
and how do I get better? And, and then you can start to take control of those things. Whereas if you're just talking about bad luck or chance or, well, you're not really taking ownership of it or responsibility or, or accountability. And I, and I think in the end, it's our decision. We, we decide how far we, we want to go and we probably limit ourselves, if anything. We do. We all do because we create these stories in our heads of what we think we're capable of or what somebody else has once said to us that impacts us. And and we do we do create these sort of roadblocks for ourselves. And, and sometimes that that derives from only looking at the negatives and only creating some sort of equation that is built from all the the bad bits of yourselves, the failures and the mistakes, and you forget about the victories, the small successes, whatever it might be. How have you got that balance over the years to, you know, because you have kept in this sort of incredibly balanced place from an outsider someone that hasn't believed all the hype and the fame and and all the furore but also hasn't sunk into an awful place when they've been dealt a heavy hand so how how have you kept balance within the good and the bad that you've experienced and the outside noise that that also reflects that back to you yeah i'm not sure i always have (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is which again i think is something that we all should be aware of because we look at people, particularly public figures, and we make a lot of assumptions yeah. that everything's been great and everything, you know, their journey's been easy and their and their super strength and super confident and able to deal with anything. And and the reality is there are days where it hurts. It bloody hurts. You know, the criticism hurts, the defeats hurt. Um, and I definitely now, um, have, uh, I think when I was playing, I enjoyed the wins more. You, 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 you played, it was done. You went and had a couple of beers in the days when we were playing and we moved on to the next one. And I, what I didn't know was the poor manager was at home thinking about the next game yeah. straight away and who was injured and uh, who, who he was going to pick, who he was going to leave out. So you definitely spend less time, sadly, I spend less time celebrating the wins. Mm. We, we do try to give ourselves time to enjoy the wins because Otherwise, why are we doing it in actual fact? Um, but I'd have to say, I don't think I always get that balance right even now. And it's very easy to be overly critical mm. and to because we're surrounded in a world where the brain has more negative thoughts than positive thoughts anyway. So if we're then loaded by external comments and external reaction, it's easy to to get into a cycle of worrying about everything that's gone wrong and not really reflect accurately. Okay, hang on. We did this, this, and this well. So let's be, let's be really specific about why, why we maybe didn't win. And some days we might've done nearly everything right and still lost Yeah. In, in our, in our sport that can happen. It's such a low scoring sport that you can play really well on, on occasions and lose. So a real honest appraisal that I think is important. And, and how, how are you able to get that balance of, you know, like you just said there, the manager doesn't get to stop thinking about what's going on. You, you, you're constantly then, you know, uh, projecting to, to the next match or, or what you've got to sort out in the diary next. But you, of course, need time out. You need, everybody needs that time to rest. And, and I'm not very good at it. I find resting excruciating at times because I've always got another thing I want to do another idea or I know I could do something better and I I then learn the hard way by hitting a wall and feeling like shit 
So how, how, you know, how do you give yourself that time out and what does that look like? How do you rest, recuperate and try and mentally switch off from, from the game? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's increasingly difficult when, for example, now there are matches every day of the week. Mm. So there's always a game that I could be watching and disconnecting myself from the family because I'll, I'll just watch this player and, you know, now there's four games on a Saturday and you can... Don't I know about it? Where's my husband? He's watching that. That's where he is. Yeah. It's killing me. So I, I, I do think that um, with the national team, there is a there is a respite because actually there, we have a very busy autumn period and then we have a couple of months of recovery. I'm really conscious that the basics have to be right. What I eat, how I exercise what I go and do. So maybe I just go and walk the dogs. We, we live out in the countryside. We're up in Yorkshire. Nobody's too bothered really. They'll, they'll tell me pretty bloody quickly if it's not going right, but, <laughs> but they're not actually too bothered about what's going on in my life. And I think if I was living in London where I'm from, that might be different. Yeah. It might be harder to switch off. You'd be constantly walking into people, not able to get away from it. So I think it's a godsend to live where we do. Um, but I know that if I've slept well in particular, I can deal with almost anything. And for me, the ability to sleep well depends on diet, exercise, switch off, relaxation. I'm not, a, I'm not one who meditates, but I can totally see the value in, in things like that. Um, and I, I do think that when we talk about mental well-being, it's those basic looking after yourself things and giving yourself time that's managing your energy. And if, if as a manager, you're not managing your energy, then it's very hard to help everybody else. Well, that's it. It's absolutely integral in any role of responsibility. And, and I can't imagine how, you know, the weight uh, of that responsibility for you and, and, and with the amount of people that, that have their eyes on you and, and you're very much surrounded by people in in what you do constantly even if they're not with you you know that's very much part of of what you do is the team mentality and and that that's your group of people and 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 that's constant so is solitude an important part of your your rest do you need to have time where it is just you on your own yeah i i like i like that um Again, I think that might be a male thing as well, a little bit more, that we, we like to have space. We like to disappear and just think. Um, I definitely like to, as I say, walk the dogs, maybe listen to a podcast, listen to music, um, just take myself somewhere. Uh, I, you know, the beauty of travel or, is something which we're not able to do at the moment, but we live near a reservoir and to be able to, walk near the water see the countryside they're small things but i think actually when you strip it down those real basic in, enjoyable things in life are, are quite often things that you don't pay for you know a beautiful sunset a, a beautiful walk uh, just just to be able to get out and 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 experience life it's best I, I i love nothing better than walking along a beach and oh, this, this, you know listening to heaven. the sea whipping so those things I think, uh, uh, yes, of course, if, if you're able, to, if you have money, you can travel more uh, under normal circumstances and visit those beautiful places. But life can be quite simple and still be a lot of fun, I think. 
It's so true, I think. You know, we it's so interesting, especially on this series, the podcast, the amount of people that I've talked to who have sort of said that they're their calm and their peace or their the clarity will come from just being in nature. It's that simple. I, I certainly need it. You know, I I live in London-ish. We just did a day trip to Dorset the other day and just to see like my kids running on the beach and to have that when your sort of face, your skin goes all tight from the sort of the sea air and oh, it's just gorgeous. And it, and it seems to be, especially this year with the weirdness that we're experiencing and and often the restrictions on where we can go, just being outside feels like enough. It's That's what we're all needing right now. Well, what, one of the beautiful things about lockdown for us was that we had a, a female duck lay her eggs in our garden. Oh. So that, that's something none of us would have had the time. Amazing. Probably, if we'd all been at work and at school, we'd, we'd never have known that was going on. And... Uh, of course, it became a thing every day. Oh, she's on the nest. When are they going to hatch? Can we feed them? How many are there? We're following them around. So actually, those things that connected us back with nature at that time, it, it did feel there, was, there were no planes in the sky. There was no traffic going around. We, seemed to, we felt more aware of the birds singing. And, mm. and uh, I mean, I'm getting very deep. And <laughs> That's what it's all about. Uh, but, it's but, the best. But it's... It, it definitely, I, I felt those things that attached us back to nature were so powerful. They really were. Oh, and you've got some lockdown ducklings. How wonderful. <laughs> I love that. Well, look, Gareth, thank you so much. What an honour and a pleasure it is to have had you on the podcast. I've been so looking forward to this one. Um, and your book is brilliant. It's so wonderful for, like you say, young people and adults to to read about your experiences and see how you can apply those sorts of theories and and learnings into all of our lives whether you're in the sports world or not because they all absolutely apply um thank you so much well thank you for having me and we're big fans of the podcast so i know my daughter and my wife in particular are are very envious so thank you well i was i was really hoping my husband was going to be around so i could unprofessionally get him up here but i've just heard him drive off the driveway with the kids because they're obviously being too (laughs) noisy but another time but thank you so much thanks fern Oh, Gareth, thank you. I so enjoyed that. Do go check out his book. It's lovely. Anything is possible. Be brave, be kind and follow your dreams. It's a must for anyone trying to get to grips with the pressure in their life. Really good for teens as well. If you've got teens in your life, get it for them. Get it for Christmas. If you're new to Happy Place, go explore our blistering back catalogue of guests. We've got so many good ones. I was banging on about the Dawn French episode the other day, our very first episode, which still blows my mind. I put a picture up on Instagram because it was just such a moment and it really helped me kickstart the whole series. So go listen to that one. It's lovely. Just scroll down there on your podcast app and dig in. That is my suggestion. Thanks again to Gareth, to the producer, Matt Hill at Rethink Audio. Hats off to you, sir. And thank you to you for listening. I love you. I adore you. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.